Hello and welcome back to the Blockchain.com podcast. My name is Garrick Heilman. I am the head of research at Blockchain.com and a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics. We're excited to share with you a recent conversation that Blockchain.com co-founder Nick Carey and I had with our very own Charlie McGarrick, who runs the Blockchain.com markets team. In this episode, which was recorded last week on Thursday, January 7th, when the Bitcoin price was around $40,000, we discussed Charlie's very prescient call on how crypto markets were showing signs of overheating and likely to see a significant correction, which has proven true. Wall Street's adoption of crypto and a thought exercise on just how large the crypto asset market can grow, how the Bitcoin digital gold thesis is the main adoption catalyst right now for crypto, and why DeFi is poised to drive the next wave of institutionalization of crypto assets. We also discussed the Ripple XRP token lawsuit by the US Securities and Exchange Commission and what that means for both Ripple and the crypto markets more generally. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. So let's uh, let's kick it off then, and and, and go right to our, our chat with uh, Charlie McGarr, uh, who has an incredible background, uh, Goldman Sachs partner, metals trader. Um, Charlie, welcome to the webinar. Thanks very much for having me. Um, how many how many of you have served us? <laughs> well, let's let's maybe um, let's maybe let me just uh, stop sharing the screen here. Uh, you know, where do you want to start with kind of like, you know, what's been going on with markets? And, and, and I don't know, Nick, if you wanted to, to kick things off with a particular question for, for Charlie, maybe a softball, you want to warm him up here or <laughs> give him a hard one right away. <laughs> give, him some, give him some red meat right away. Um, well, I think, you know, Charlie, it's easy to get really deep in the weeds, um, but you know, you've been doing some modeling. We were talking about it um, earlier this week. And if we look back over the past decade, you know, what's been happening in the broader macro markets and what kind of um, companies are being successful and where value is being created, you know, it looks like tech equities have broadly vastly outperformed what I would call like molecular firms. And um, if we project that momentum forward, um, you know. What does it mean if the trend holds true and accelerates over the next decade um, for the internet and broadly, you know, the, I would say an alternative financial system natively integrated into the internet? You know, what, what does that kind of look like? Let, let's have like a big picture and then we'll dive into some, some specific topics. Yeah, so maybe a couple of numbers. I was, uh, I was digging around a little bit this weekend thinking about, you know, how much the markets have been moving and, you know, what does this all really mean? And trying to think about, you know, Think ahead, you know, not just in, in, in weeks or months, but really in years and decades. So here's, here's a couple of numbers for you. Global GDP is about $140 trillion, and the US is the largest country share of that at about 15% at, at 20, 21, 22 trillion. Garrett, correct me if I've got these numbers wrong. But, um, and over the last decade, um, the internet has accounted, has grown nine times the, the speed, you know, the internet's share of US GDP rather has grown at nine times the speed of overall US GDP growth. Uh, the internet economy at the end of 2019, broadly defined, including e-commerce and so forth, pre-COVID uh, is roughly 10% of US GDP and is undoubtedly much higher than that now with the movement of electronification. As you rightly point out, uh, electrons have had a pretty good run versus molecules kind of broadly defined, especially over the last year, but, but even predating that. So if you kind of think about global growth for the next 10 years, I, I was reading online something like 
uh, projected GDP of, of something like 275 trillion uh, about uh, end of 2030. And if you think that the internet broadly defined could be the largest, you know, quote unquote country uh, component of, of global GDP, uh, with let's say something like a 20% share that puts the internet economy 10 years out at a $55 trillion equivalent GDP. Um, and that, that's a massive number, right? So then I, I started thinking about um, um, the market cap of uh, financial institutions in the US. Just the top five leading investment banks in the United States of America at the moment have roughly a $1 trillion market cap or roughly 5% of US GDP. So 5% uh, of uh, 55 trillion is, uh, is you know, $2 trillion plus opportunity for financial institutions, just the leading ones uh, on, on, you know, in the internet economy to kind of frame the size of the opportunity. Now, um, how much of that will accrue to the protocol layer versus um, the, the, you know, companies and picks and shovels um, to be determined. And also, of course, uh, the scope of what um, is part of financial intermediation in the future may be far greater than it is right now because uh, digital asset technologies, uh, starting with Bitcoin, but certainly not limited to Bitcoin, uh, allow basically the creation of markets and pricing mechanisms and more and more things uh, with kind of the dawn and rollout of tokenization. So it's an exciting time and we would expect, uh, you know, vast, vast growth to come. Yeah, that's an exciting thought exercise. Um, I had a question, uh, I don't know, either one of you can kind of answer this. It also came in from one of the community members that's on um, the webinar today. So uh, XRP has suddenly become ensnarled in an SEC investigation, um, still trading up on the year. Um, what might happen there? And if, you know, it's just not necessarily a prediction, but um, what are your views sort of so far on what took so long for the SEC to maybe um, take a view on that, being that it had been in market for a long time, and you know, what is probably the likely sort of next step of sequences, um, you know, in terms of communication that'll be made public? I'm I'm, I'm no lawyer uh, and no no expert on, on this topic, so I'm going to punt on this one and, and uh, hand it off to Garrick, um, and then we can keep keep on on the market side <laughs> for, for me. Thanks, Carly. I'm, I'm, also, I'm also not a lawyer, but I mean the timing the timing of the XRP lawsuit, I think, is really. I mean, Clayton, you know, on his way out right before Christmas, you know, I mean, it was, it was really quite interesting. And, you know, look, I, I, to prepare a lawsuit like this, there's a couple of things I can say to prepare a lawsuit like this uh, requires a lot of work from the SEC and the rank and file. And, you know, I wouldn't expect, even if there is a, a change in the, um, significant change in the policy priorities at the SEC with the new administration for all of that work to be just wiped away quickly. In other words, you know, for those who are wanting to follow and think about where this is going to go, you know, sure, it's possible that a new administration comes in, changes priorities, and this all gets, you know, um, you know, kicked away. But I would think this is probably going to be with us for some time, months, um, before, uh, you know, in a, if you're an XRP fan and you're, you're hoping this does get kind of just, you know, uh, erased somehow, uh, I wouldn't expect that personally for, for some months to come. And I'm not even saying that's going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I just, I would be prepared for this to kind of hang over Ripple and, and the crypto space as a whole for some time to come. That's, that's my personal 
outlook uh, to guess. We're, we're seeing the market also respond cautiously from a perspective of whether or not to continue trading these assets. And so most major exchanges, at least in the United States, um, have opted to delist um, XRP, at least in the near term, until more guidance is issued by the SEC. Um, the blockchain.com exchange is also delisting XRP um, in the imminent future. So, um, okay, one of the things Charlie loves to look at is the CME crossover where he talks about whether or not institutions are actually coming in. Um, in 2017, is, there was a big run up in the value of Bitcoin. It you know, went just near 20,000 and um, there's all this talk about, you know, the institutions are coming, the institutions are coming. And they, they really never did show up and there was a bit of frothiness with all the ICOs. Um, are they coming now? What are the what's the CME show us um, in the futures market, Charlie? And uh, can you talk a bit about that? Yes. Um, <laughs> just, I'm just pulling up the chart on Bloomberg to just get the latest. Um, just give me two seconds. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, um, so the short answer is yes, the institutions are coming, but it depends on how you define institutions. So. Um, as the price moves, just the dollar volume of trading is going up. Uh, the open interest hasn't increased that much, um, but it definitely is on an uptrend. I think, you know, kind of more importantly, it, it is, we've certainly seen in our business uh, an increased amount of inquiry and, and activity from, you know, institutions more broadly defined, which would be um, high net worths, um, corporates, uh, uh, crypto funds, uh, and, and then crossover, crossover funds from traditional space. Um, so yes, it's picking up. I still think that we're kind of in uh, tire kicking mode to a degree. Uh, I also think that um, the uh, excitement around the the scale of the the grayscale uh, and listed ETPs has also um, really been a, a big thing. And um, it was pretty interesting uh, on January fourth, a large amount of the the share float uh, passed its seasoning restriction in the Ether Trust uh, that Grayscale has, and and um, created you know a compression in the premium as people liquidated uh, shares on the ETHE Trust. Uh, and it's interesting, maybe some of the the buying action in, in Ether itself was was people replacing that risk with, with buying Ether as they uh, liquidated to monetize the premium, but but wanted to keep the the overall crypto market exposure. I'd say the other thing that we've seen, and I think this is really kind of a telltale sign uh, of kind of circumstantial evidence anyway, is that the price action with the turn of the new year was extremely, extremely bullish. So I was actually a bit wrong. I thought that um, with the passage of December 31st and into Gen 1, we would see a bit more selling and profit taking because capital gains taxes were pushed into the, uh, at least in the US, were pushed into the 2021 tax year. Um, but in fact, what we saw was a lot of buying while the markets were closed over the holiday um, and then into obviously this week as well. Uh, where we're just in this relentless bull trend. And, and uh, it feels like some of that demand is from people who have an annual timestamp and, and they needed to buy right away in order to track the 2021 performance. Um, so very, very interesting kind of January, you know, classic style January effect, um, very, very visible in crypto. And I think that speaks volumes about the kinds of money that are, that are buying. And we've certainly seen, you know, a fair amount more institutional inquiry over the last, um, you know, weeks and months and, and, and into this year, for sure. So it's been interesting that you had the SEC, um, you know, coming out against XRP, but then simultaneously, the Office of the Controller for Currency has just announced that federally regulated banks um, will be able to settle uh, in on-chain regulated stable coins. Um, what do you make of that? And uh, what, 
know, what stable coins are going to be uh, authorized um, for this type of activity? Either Garrick or Charlie, maybe have different views. Well, or maybe, maybe Garrick, I can take it first, so if that's okay. Um, I, I think it's a pretty big deal, um, but I do think it's incremental. So it's incremental to the story that um, the digital asset rails are becoming, uh, you know, in the process of becoming, you know, fundamental uh, infrastructure for the financial system. Uh, stable coins, because they make uh, trading and settlement uh, contemporaneous and instantaneous, um, are a pretty attractive means of settling trades uh, between institutions. Uh, so there's some potential working capital efficiencies there, counterparty credit risk mitigation from instantaneous settlement. Uh, you, you know, kind of maybe stuff that seems uh, humdrum and boring to the outside, but uh, but is a pretty big deal in terms of upgrading the infrastructure for the system. And I think you see that the um, the regulators are saying, we want to embrace innovation. Uh, we just want it to be done, to be done prudently um, in, in, in a regulated context, which, you know, which makes a ton of sense. Uh, so I view it as a, a really good kind of incremental step toward the modernization of the system and, and, and ultimately uh, the build out of uh, more efficient markets. And uh, yeah, and I think it's great news. Eric? Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with everything Charlie said and I'll, I'll just be brief. I, I think, you know, it's interesting to think about where central bank digital currencies are going vis-a-vis -vis stable coins. Uh, and the debate in some ways around, should we just, uh, you know, leverage the existing stable coins and, you know, let stable coins be a bit of a Petri dish or even ultimately be synthetic central bank digital currencies? Or do we go with a more centralized approach? Uh, we saw legislation in March last year, April, proposing the Fed just expanded its, its, its existing account system to create central bank digital currency and everyone gets an account at the Fed now and the Fed goes into retail. So I think, um, you know, one thing we can expect uh, is that there will be a change in management at the Office of the Comptroller of Currency. I don't think anyone's expecting um, Brian Brooks to, to still be there with the, the handover in the administration. There might be some pushback on some of the things that um, Brian and the OCC did in the latter weeks and months before they, they changed regimes. We'll see. That's an open question. But, you know, this is all part of, as Charlie referenced, this crypto Wall Street convergence, this infrastructure story, which is very, very positive and constructive for crypto asset adoption. And uh, we've talked about that. We published a piece uh, early last year about crypto Wall Street convergence. Please check that out. And, and um, this is a big step in that direction uh, and very, very constructive. I would just add one, one other thing, which is, um, you know, every conversation with crypto needs a certain disclaimer when you kind of go down this path that I'm about to go down. So my, here's my disclaimer. My disclaimer is I love Bitcoin. Bitcoin's great. Not to, not to disparage Bitcoin itself in any way, but um, Bitcoin is not, you know, has kind of appears to be in the process of properly sewing up the digital gold use case and the kind of, uh, safe reserve asset, you know, or secure, maybe it's, you know, it's highly volatile, so safe is maybe the wrong word, but secure from the cybersecurity perspective, uh, digital gold use case. But Bitcoin is probably not the appropriate rail for uh, rolling out all these other solutions, uh, given its sort of longer transaction latency and uh, limited, limited block size and, and so forth. And so um, this is a story about digital assets more broadly defined. Um, and uh, smart contracting and the power of uh, self-custody and public key and private key uh, cryptography uh, and, and changing balance sheets in the system. It's not just a story about Bitcoin per se. So I think it's a pretty interesting uh, dynamic with respect to the altcoins. 
as a, as a kind of investable universe and, and, and DeFi, and I would expect a lot more to come there. And maybe one of the surprises we'll see this year in terms of market outlook is that the market, um, because of the rally in Bitcoin, which of course, you know, focuses the mind in terms of uh, the money that's been made and, and, um, and these kinds of things, uh, I think it may move uh, some of the, the big institutions in the financial, the traditional financial sector on to kind of taking the adoption of these rails uh, more seriously. And uh, that may end up being a tradable theme into, into 2021 that, that ends up being quite interesting. So. Mm, that is interesting. I got one question for Charlie and then a wrap up question for the group. Um, so Charlie, you know, um, obviously there's been a lot of volatility in an upward trajectory over the past uh, six to eight weeks. Um, because of that, it's also um, you know, safe to say that it can go down just as quickly. Um, and I think uh, this is true of, of um, especially in crypto, um, the volatility is part of the, the narrative here. You know, if, for first time crypto curious users um, and people have recently come into the market, like what is a, a, a word of advice or a warning or, or something that they can potentially consider when it comes to managing their risk to that volatility? Um, and yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, look, these things are very volatile. Um, there's extremes of sentiment. There's a fair amount of leverage um, in the market in different pockets of, of, uh, of, of the user base globally. And so you have to be prepared for a lot of volatility. Definitely don't risk more than you can afford to lose. You need to treat this with um, the respect that, uh, that you know, high volatility assets uh, command. Um, and uh, and try, not to, try not to kind of get swept up in the fear of missing out. Uh, or, uh, or you know, the euphoria uh, of an uptrade because it, you know, as great as it feels on the way up, it may feel totally different on the way down. Um, so, it, you know, just treat it with, uh, with healthy respect and, um, and don't risk more than you can afford to lose. Um, we're bullish long-term, we're bullish on, the, you know, an evolution of the market structure, we're bullish on the adoption of these technologies, but it's still really early in the context of the size of the global financial system and, and ultimately which horses uh, win the race is still sort of you know open for debate, uh, and so uh, it can definitely move around. And so just uh, be careful and treat it with the with the respect it deserves. If I could, uh, yeah, Nick, if I could just come in on that and and, and kind of um, tease out some things uh, Charlie was talking about. And you know, there's a saying that generals generals always fight the last war. And you know, those of us who've been around crypto for a while remember 2017. We remember December 2013. Uh, you know, you kind of look back at those times and, and some of the warning signs uh, from those eras, you know, we've seen uh, the beginning, it looks like, of the return of the, the so-called kimchi premium. This is the premium that um, traders in South Korea were, were paying for crypto assets above what, say, someone was paying on, you know, a, a U.S.-based exchange. There was talk of that returning 5%. I think I saw the number this week. I think back in the day, 2017, it was in double digits regularly, not just in, in South Korea, but in Japan as well. Um, but I wanted to ask you, Charlie, about the, you mentioned the leverage and the, the, the funding rates for borrowing stable coins and, and just kind of what you're watching there and, and, and how you're feeling about that, that part of the market, how important that is. Yeah. And how people on this call keep an eye on that themselves. I think, it's, I, I do think it's important. I think, um, you know, the crypto ecosystem is not that well connected to the traditional system. There are bridges, of course, um, and, but, and as, you know, regulation matures, as the ecosystem builds out, these connectivity will go up and, and 
in, you know, cost of capital between the two systems will normalize more. Um, so, you know, I think it's long-term kind of a convergence story, but in the short term, um, you know, it's reasonably expensive to borrow fiat collateralized with crypto because people want to buy more crypto. So the people who are already inside the ecosystem are saying, we're really bullish. We think that the price deserves to be higher and we're willing to, you know, we're willing to borrow money and, 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 and bet that that's the case. Um, and what that does is it puts up interest rates for fiat collateralized by crypto. And then, um, you know, and that's the market's way of sending a signal, which is, which is, you know, send, send more money because we, we think that, you know, we think it demands that. And we, we are seeing those, those inflows, but it can overshoot uh, at times. And so when the, you know, the price of um, leverage particularly is defined by the, the, the slope of um, futures against spot, uh, it tells you people are really paying up for the leverage and that's when you know, the market may be a bit overextended. Right now, it feels pretty extended. So I would say a pullback is, is probably in order. Um, now, what's been pretty interesting, we've seen a couple of those pullbacks over this spectacular rally of the last couple of months and the dips have been bought. Um, and so that I think is a pretty strong sign that there is demand uh, there, uh, but it's a process of equilibrating and making these fun, fun flows move. And, and um, you know, that's a process that needs the pricing mechanism to, to make people do that. So, so treat it again with a healthy degree of respect and caution. Wise words. Okay, um, so last uh, month, Garrick penned that article in CoinDesk um, predicting that at some point over the following 12 months, the asset class could reach um, a market cap of a trillion dollars. It did it in three weeks. Now I'm not gonna hold you to future predictions, uh, Garrick, um, specifically, but what do you think are the themes um, that you know will broadly be uh, driving the crypto narrative um, over the next 12 months? And not just on the price side, but like, what are the fundamental things that um, you know we should be looking toward uh, as signals that you know things are maturing um, and maybe you know the the moderation of some of the uh, exuberance is actually um, being taken into account? Yeah, well, again, I I think uh, the landscape has changed a lot since 2017, and one of the things that I try to remind myself of is what's different, who are the new players at the table, what is their psychology you know, what are they trying to accomplish and over what time frame? Because, uh, you know, we saw prices shoot up, you know, kind of similar to what they're doing right now, you know, thousands of dollars a day, um, you know, into 2017, but it's a very different market than, than what we're seeing today. And so, you know, it's tempting, I think, for those of us who live through that to be get, getting a little nervous, but at the same time, there's so many people who don't have any exposure to crypto still who now realize they're being, you know, they're kind of like, you know, Warren Buffett has this famous comment about, you know, when the, the, the waves go out, you get to see who was swimming naked. You know, a lot of people are looking at like what Mass Mutual did and, you know, the insurance company. And they're saying, if I'm an insurance company that's competing with Mass Mutual, and Mass Mutual now has a significant crypto position, and that's going to appreciate to 400K, like Guggenheim and some of the institutional investors have, have suggested it might. That puts Mass Mutual at a hugely competitive advantage versus its insurance competition, and they need to figure out how to respond to that. It's a lot of pressure on corporates uh, potentially to to step up in a meaningful way. And uh, in other words, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, yes, the market is moving very quickly and it's raising some concerns, but you know, I, I think you know, Bitcoin getting to a trillion in market value is is also a 2021 possibility and could be 
could be a January possibility at the rate we're going. You know, this feels like it's going to be a trillion dollar market uh, asset uh, sooner rather than later. And it should be. Gold is a, a multi-trillion dollar asset. And we've talked at length for years about how much more utility uh, Bitcoin offers over gold. It should be, you know, something that's, you know, closer to gold in terms of total value. So, you know, I think the market is anticipating that move and, and accelerating uh, that, the move to that level. What happens there? You know, that's a new epoch, a new era. We'll, we'll have more price discovery. Charlie talked about volatility. Buckle up and don't get over levered. You know, that's the key. The, the people who have survived in the space are the ones who can ride out the volatility. And I would not expect uh, for volatility to be going away anytime soon. Thanks for those views. Charlie, anything you're gonna be looking out for in 2021? No, you heard it from me. I think I think the market will move on from a pure digital gold story to um, as economic growth picks up. Um, I could imagine the dollar actually strengthens in the macro economy. Um, I know that's kind of an off consensus view, but I don't think it's completely crazy. And, um, and once the kind of dollar debasement story is not the only kind of game in town in, in, in macro markets, uh, and, and growth picks up, I could imagine that the focus moves on toward how are we going to rebuild the capital market system on these rails, um, which won't be a pure Bitcoin story. It'll be about other other assets, uh, which Probably are also far, far cheaper. <laughs> conversation, right? Yeah. Okay. So. Well, uh, I want to thank uh, Charlie and Garrett for their time today, as well as everyone that joined us from uh, all over the world. It's been um, a tremendous 30 days. Um, we will be here to study it with you all um, over the next 30 days as well. Please join us in early February um, for the next monthly market recap. And uh, if you have any questions, um, please uh, find us on uh, online or contact us via the official channels on the blockchain.com website. And uh, we wish everyone um, a happy, healthy, and prosperous 2021. Cheers.